some of them. I would say if, if you want to grab the bigger picture, watch them. Listen to them. Listen to them together. The podcast is there. But the idea is this whole series has been about uh, in order to have the right goal, you have to have the right perspective. So you can't make a good goal without knowing what you're even aiming for. And as a Christian, you have to understand what is something that we should aim for. So this whole series has been about that. But I'm going to read to you a little story. It's an illustration of a, uh, a goal. Okay, so a king was hunting in a forest when he stumbled upon a tree with several targets drawn on the trunk of the tree. Right in the center of each circle was an arrow. So that means somebody was hitting these targets perfectly. So the king asked, who is this fine archer? The king asked his men, I must find him and recruit him for my army. Just at that moment, a young boy carrying a bow and a quiver of arrows walked by. Overhearing the king, he admitted to him that he was the one who had shot the arrows. The king asked the boy, are you sure you didn't just push the arrows into the middle? No, sire, said the boy. I shot them from a hundred paces. That is amazing, said the king. From now on, consider yourself to be in the service of your king. The boy was overjoyed. So the king responded and said, now tell me, how did you come to be such an excellent archer? Well, said the boy, first, I shoot the arrow at the tree. Then I paint a ring around it. The king obviously was shocked. <laughs> That's an illustration, right? The idea is this. There are goals and there are things that, that you know, we would love to never miss. Uh, many people are even guilty of setting goals that they can't miss. So we aim so low that we're just like, oh, well, we're going to be successful, period, right? I can't fail at that. But the idea is also that there are times when we just aim and we say, well, you know, I, I landed over there. Okay, God's in it, right? We just say, oh, God's in it. But the idea is in talking about all this, we have to aim, we have to be intentional, and we have to pay attention to what we're doing. I love this saying. Uh, actually, my dad uh, was the first one that I heard it from. I'm sure he heard it somewhere else. But he, he would always say to us, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And the idea is that many of us, or many people even, that you would see in other groups, even as Christians, we see other Christians who look, man, like they're like super Christian, Right? It's not how you start, it's how you finish. But 10 years later, they're not even in church anymore. And it's like we take this statement and apply it to ourselves with the proper perspective and it helps us really establish clarity and intentionality in our life. It's not how we start, it's how we finish. Okay? Goals take into account the journey to get there. I'm going to read to you some quotes from some secular people. <laughs> uh, if a man knows not, to which port he sails, no wind is favorable. Meaning that if you don't know where you're going, you don't even know which wind is going to help you with the sails. <laughs> okay? Bruce Lee said, A goal is not always meant to be reached. It often serves simply as something to aim at. Goals are, are actually really a good thing. I read about a study 
and this is just a side note, uh, of these, this group of people that were uh, at a university. They interviewed them at the beginning, and they interviewed them at the end of their time. They asked, I think it was 100 people, 3% of them had financial goals that they wrote down. And they said, this is our plan. This is what we're going to do. This, this whole time of university is to bring us into this position in life. I think it was 12% didn't write it down. And they had a clear mental strategy, but it was not written. The rest were kind of just like, we'll see what happens. So at the end of that, that four-year, or yeah, it was a four-year uh, study, they went back and they interviewed these same people. 3% of them, the 3% that set the goal and wrote it down, all were financially in the place that they had written and said they wanted to be. 12% weren't, the rest weren't. The idea is that goals, goals are important. You set it, you write it, you say, this is what I'm going to do. This is the plan, right? The moment you cross the finish line is the moment that the journey becomes memorable. The moment you cross the finish line is the moment that the journey becomes memorable. When you're going through turbulent times, hard times, you look back and you say, man, I'm so glad we made it. I'm so glad I made it here. Like you love, right? You, you actually treasure the journey when you are at a place that you thought you would never be. It's amazing. You're like, wow, this is awesome. Philippians 3, 12 through 21. And we're going to do a lot of scripture today. Not a whole lot, but a good amount. So Philippians 3, and we're going to read verse 12 through 14. If I ask somebody to read that, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Hmm. Okay. So Philippians 12, 3, 12 through 14, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind, I think, is a big part of understanding how to set good goals, okay? Forgetting what lies behind. We talked about this in the groups. We talked about surrendering all. Remember, we talked about when you surrender, you're saying, I'm letting go of everything. Everything that has happened, everything that has transpired, I'm surrendering that. Now, it's easy when there's bad, right? It's easier to say, like, I'm going to surrender all the bad that's happened, but there's a reality that it's also the good that we must surrender. Because we can take something and say, look at how good I am. Look at what I've accomplished. But there's a reality. In surrendering, we, we say all of it is laid at the feet of Jesus. It is of no gain. We say it's surrendered. And we press on toward the goal. Okay, so all the good and the bad. Now the question we must ask ourselves is what is my goal i think for a lot of us and this is this is for us as christians nothing to do with you as an individual maybe as a as a father uh mother husband wife brother sister relative any none of that this is all 100 percent a question what is your goal as a christian okay when you come to church what is your goal when you pray what is your goal when you read your Bible, 
what is your goal? If we have none, if we have no goal, that's where we can become very messy. The right perspective gives us clarity. This is a simple, very uh, clear-cut answer for all of us. The goal is to know Jesus. That's the goal. Okay, if, if this church ceased to exist and you were in another church, the goal would be the same. If you lived in a different city, the goal would be the same. If you were doing something completely different with your life career-wise, your Christian walk would have the same goal. It is to know Jesus. That is our goal. That is collectively and definitively our goal as the church. We might come to church for some other reason, but we need to realign ourselves. Okay? We are not here for anything other than to know Jesus. That's the goal. We come in to this room, we worship God, we read the word together, and the goal of that is to know Jesus. Okay, if it's encouraging, that's awesome, but it's not the reason. If it's helping you, awesome, but it's not the reason. Our goal collectively is to know Jesus. And part of our vision is uh, to make him known, but that's a byproduct of knowing him. It's, it's like the idea of how can you share with somebody about Jesus if you don't know him, right? You can present some facts, some ideas, and you know, some you know, thoughts or, or positions you've held and share it with somebody else, but the question would remain, but... How do you know Jesus? Like, how do you know he's real? So our goal is to know him. Howard Hendricks, which is, uh, for me, one of the, uh, like, I respect and honor that guy. He passed away. But I think him as a teacher, preacher, pastor, uh, he was a a professor at the uh, latter part of his life. Um, but mainly he trained leaders, he trained pastors, and he would sit with them and talk with them. And one of his biggest statements that impacted probably the world was that he said this, he said, my great concern for you in life is not that you will fail, but that you will succeed in doing the wrong things. And I love, I was like, wow, that's amazing because that is the truth. You know, all of us can be successful in the wrong thing. Philippians, as we continue, in chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 21. I'm going to have somebody else read that. So in this, in this passage, in this text, we read that the, verse 15 starts us out with this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So let's be clear in a few things. One, there are two mindsets you can have as a Christian. You can have an immature one, and you can have a mature one. So there is an establishment of maturity in the way we think as a Christian. Okay, so when somebody says to you, like, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, like, oh, God's still dealing with me. No, it's just you're immature. You have to mature. You have to grow. Maturity is the person who has clarity and direction. An immature person doesn't see and doesn't know where to go. That's what scripture teaches us that, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it that also to you. So he's saying that there's maturity and there's even in that maturity, there's some thought process or some 
processing that has to happen, that there's other areas that we have to deal with. God's going to reveal it to us, right? We see that. And then uh, let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. That's one of the things that we have in some sense stepped away from um, in, when it comes to discipleship because I think there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of problematic and, and difficult situations when it comes to church and, and leadership and, and pastors and, and some of the things that even I have said. Uh, I would say that what happens is a lot of pastors now will say things like, you know, don't look to me, look to Jesus. And it's noble in the process of saying that I'm not perfect. And that's true. None of us are perfect. But some of us must carry the responsibility of presenting the gospel. Some of us must carry the responsibility of walking in truth and light. See, if we pass that responsibility off and we say, don't follow me, I'm not perfect. It's almost a cop out to say, well, if I mess up, it's okay. Because I told them not to follow me. But there's a reality when it comes to Scripture teaching us that the mature mindset, and, and you know, <laughs> Paul's writing here, the mature mindset. He says to them, brothers, join in imitating me. He says, walk with me. Look at me. Look at how I'm living. And then it says further, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Meaning, look at those who live like us too. That's the reality of what we're talking about here. When we set goals, we're not just setting it for ourselves. We're not just setting it for personal gain. We're setting it to say, look, if you're going to view me as a Christian, am I imperfect? Yes, I'm not perfect. I will mess up. I will fail. But you can look to me how I live because I'm pursuing Jesus. Okay? This is what Scripture's teaching us. And then it says, verse 18, for many of whom I've often told you, uh, now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. <laughs> quoting the scripture. Siri, Siri is quoting the scripture for us. Thank you. So, verse 18, I think that's where it was. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you, now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Meaning, you can start one way and end another. Think about that. This scripture is literally telling us, for many, tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They, they started in a place that was good, but they ended up in a place that is bad. And it says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. That's a huge place for us to understand a good goal is the opposite of setting our minds and our hearts on earthly things. Because Paul says it's not good, their end is destruction. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Okay? So going further into this thought, and the reason why I'm trying to close this off here is because I want you to understand that goals are important 
for all of us, everything we're doing, everything we're about, there has to be an intentional goal, something we're looking at to get to. Mark 4, 19 through 20. Let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. And this is part of a bigger uh, uh, like parable or account, but the idea, or not a parable, it's, a, it's an example of, of the kingdom, right? So Jesus is sharing this, but I'm going to read a specific part from it. Mark 4, 19 through 20 says this, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Okay, so this is important. Mark 4, 19 says, But the cares of the world. That right there is a great place to stop, to literally go at any point that you have, any time you can take, and write down what is a care of the world that you have. Um, if I could be transparent, I would say, like, for me, I would say buying a house. That's a, that's a great goal. You know, in, in the secular context, it would be like, man, that's a good goal, right? But is it a care of the world? Yes. Because what if God wants us to be in a place where we move or we go some other, you know, he has us like going different places. Is that a care of the world? Yes. It's the idea of, but the cares of the world, you write down what is something that has nothing to do with obeying God and everything to do with what I desire. And the other part is the deceitfulness of riches. Is it wrong for you to have money? No, we've talked about that. It's not. The love of money is the root of all evil, not having money. Okay, the love of it. But the deceitfulness of it is important where you can begin to put your security and your hope in the wealth. And then it goes further. The desires for other things enter in, and then it says, and choke the word. Understand that. Things enter in and choke the word. So what that means is this. God could literally, you, you heard from the Lord, He gave you direction, He gave you a goal, and you're like, this is what we're going to do. But it says, other things enter in. And God gave you this direction, and you knew what, where to go, how to do it. You know, this was, we're going to get this done. God gave us this. And then things entered in, and it choked out what God had asked you to do. And again, that statement, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. What did God tell you to do, right? We all, that's the part where we have to submit and say, Lord, we are yours. Our heart is to obey you. You may desire to know the Lord. You may desire to be close to him. Scripture teaches us that these things outside can enter in. So we may have the right desire. Our heart right now may be in a good, healthy place. And we may want to know Jesus like in a place of, I want to know him personally. But what can happen is things can enter in and it can choke out the word. In scripture, we read of this event um, that we can see a great example of how our goals can fully distract and destroy our destiny. So there's a, there's a great example 
of how we can, in some sense, respond to the gospel. Okay? Not just us, but the world. In the book of Luke, chapter 14. Let's all go there. Book of Luke, chapter 14. We're going to read this. I'm going to ask a few of you to read it. But we're first going to read 16 through 18. Okay, book of Luke, chapter 14, 16 through 18. If someone can read that. Okay, so this is a great example, like I said, of the gospel and our response to it. Verse 16, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Who, who's invited into the gospel? Everyone, right? <laughs> the gospel's for every John 3, 16. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. So everyone's invited, okay? A great banquet. That's the idea. Come and feast at this amazing thing that has been put together. Everyone's invited. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant. And the servant, as, you know, children of God, we go, we serve, we share the gospel. And it says, to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. In verse 18, the first part of that, it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The gospel is presented. The, everybody is welcome. You're saying, come in. But it says the first thing is that they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. So this is um, the idea of, of uh, entrepreneurship even, right? That, that we do something, we purchase, and it becomes the most important thing in our life. And it says, please have me excuse. The idea is that God understands I have to get this thing done. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Are we saying that these things are not important? Of course not. We're saying that these things are important. These are big deals. These were wealthy, big deal transactions going on in this setting, right? And it's a big deal. But they're excuses to not come in. And another said in verse 20, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's pretty... That's a big deal. It is a big deal. I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. But scripture calls it an excuse. Because it's something other than what God is asking of you. This, this whole thing is to bring clarity to our mind, to our worldview, to our perspective. Verse 21. Let me have somebody read that. Verse 21 through 24. So understand that these excuses turned into being not allowed. That's, that's what the, the things entering in and choking the word. That's what it looks like. 
You had invitation. You had an open door. You like it was open for it was for you. You had a place there, but something came in, choked it out. And it says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet, meaning that you are no longer allowed. And the place that was for you is not for you anymore. This can happen to all of us. This is a scary thing. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I think of, um, I've shared this story before of my friend who had a dream. He, he was, uh, he was a, a Muslim and he had a dream. And in this dream, he walked into this room and there was a man sitting on this throne. And he says his name and he walks into this room and, the, and this, this man sitting on this throne says his name and says, Come in. And, and he looks around and on this table, there's a bunch of like every, he said every good thing you could think of was on this table. And he walked into this room and, and the man on the throne says, come in, come in. And he, and he comes in and he's like, like, what is all this? And he says his name, he says, I've been waiting for you. And, and the, this reminds me of this moment where you enter into this banquet, right? This room, this thing filled and God has all these things ready for you. But what happens is that the things of the world can choke it out. Then we begin to take those things and they become excuses. They become reasons to not be part of what God has invited us to. And then it says, he goes out and he bring in the poor. Right? Because God blessed you. Now you have a lot of money. And, and you just don't have time for him anymore. Right? Bring in the crippled. Because God healed whatever issue you had and you're free to go wherever you are now. But the crippled still needs help. They still need, right? And the blind, right? The ones that can't see. And the lame. The broken. The hurting. God heals us. And all these things can become excuses now when they become our new God. The successes. The things that that we prayed and asked God for and we're living in it and all of a sudden that's more important than just spending time with him Matthew 7 21 through 23 and uh this one is is a very heavy scripture for me personally Matthew 7 21 through 23 I think I shared this with Alex the other night when we were talking but this scripture is one that just challenges me to my core it's in verse seven, chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Okay, wait a minute. Let's stop right there. When the name or when something was repeated twice, it was emphatic. It meant there was a real uh, emotion. Uh, there was a purpose. There was an intentional thing that was behind it, right? So it was Lord, Lord. Meaning there was a familiarity. There was an established understanding of who they're speaking to. So it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
So when I talk about goals and I talk about what is the reason, the intentional effort you put in to walk as a Christian, I, I for myself, look at this scripture and think about all that it is that we can do that can become, it's, it's unimportant. Because scripture says that the reason that they have to depart is because he never knew them. He never knew them. But they, they spoke. They, they did things in His name. Did we not prophesy in your name? How many of you ever received a prophetic word? All right. Most, mostly everybody. A prophetic word is where God speaks through a prophet usually and, or somebody who moves in the prophetic ministry and they say something to you about your future, right? About God's holding you. He's taking care of you. Prophetic word is released and, and you, you hear this thing and it's powerful. Now imagine you make it to heaven and you say, hey, where's the guy who shared that word with me? Because, I, like, I mean, man, God used them. I'm in heaven because of that word. And that person is not in heaven. That's, what the, that's the depth of this scripture. It's not even, it's, it's convicting to the core because it says, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And then it's, it, goes, it just covers it all. It says, do many mighty works in your name? Think about any famous preacher, any famous pastor, any famous Christian that you've ever seen, maybe on the stage of an international level at, at a, at a TV or, or production or even Instagram or whatever you've seen. And that level, many mighty works, right? And it says, did we not do these things in your name? And then it says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is something that for all of us, in, in everything we plan for, everything we look at through the lens of our life, through our worldview, through our perspective, that should be something that realigns us to say, it brings us back on the path to say, Lord, my goal is to know you. My goal is to please you. My goal is that when I stand in front of you, you're like, oh, I know you. That is 100% my goal. Like, I don't, I don't care any, any accomplishments, any things that we can look at and say like, look, this, that, blah, blah, blah. I just want it. When I stand in front of our Father in heaven, like, I really 100% want him to be like, oh, I know you. Not, who is this? I don't know who this is. That's, that's Pastor Gabriel. You know, he pastored that church. They were missionary. They did this. They did that. You know, I, I don't know who they are. Whatever they were doing, they were doing for themselves. Get them away from me. That is sobering. That is sobering that any pastor, any person in any ministry could stand in front of God and he would say, I never knew them. Get them away from me. Luke, 12, or Luke 14 27 to 33, we're going to close it down right now. But let's, I want to have somebody read that. Let's read uh, Luke 14, 27 through 28, and then we're going to keep going. But Luke chapter 14, verse 27 through 28. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. But which of you, regarding the road or the tower, does not first sit down? 
Okay, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Think about this. This is saying that there is an individual effort that everybody puts in. That it's not based off of what someone else is doing, or what someone else has done, or does for you. It says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Verse 29, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Someone else read verse 33. Yeah, verse 33. Think about that scripture, guys. That is in the Bible. <laughs> that is 100% uh, something that we have to retain and look at for our own life. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? That means that there's nothing more important than him. There are some things that obviously we, we do, uh, you know, in, in the practice of, of life and society, right? It's like, you know, it, uh, showers, you know, uh, showers are more important than God, so I'm not going to shower anymore ever again. And it's like, no, please go shower. Like, we don't want to smell you, <laughs> Right? I'm not saying that in some crazed out way. What I'm saying is that there's a clarity to say in our heart, in our mind, in what we're doing, that we're saying nothing is more important than my Lord and Savior. That all of this that I am doing is there so that he would be glorified. In John chapter 17, verse 3, it says this. But Jesus is, the, let, me, let me give you the context first. Jesus is the one praying this prayer. And in this prayer, he gives a great goal for all of us. In John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is for us, our goal. When we talk about goals, right? Everything has to come through the lens of like, is my life set around a place of saying, Lord, I want to know you. Not, I want to be the most known. But to say, Lord, I want to know you. That's Melvin, if you can come up. I'm going to invite Pastor Mancha in a second. But I just want again to reread this part. Uh, First, the quote from Howard Hendricks. My great concern for you in life is not that you will fail, but that you will succeed in doing the wrong things. Okay? The question we must ask ourselves, what is my goal? 
When you come to church, what is your goal? When you pray, what is your goal? When you read your Bible, what is your goal? The right perspective gives us clarity. The goal is to know Jesus. Every other goal is to believe.